Beloved, if you have your word, please behold God's living word by turning to Ecclesiastes chapter three. Starting in verse 16, we're gonna be through chapter four, verse three. That's page 554, 555 in the Bible in the seat back in front of you. And as you turn there, I'm gonna ask you a question. Do you want justice? Do you want justice? It's, it's a simple question and I think it's a pretty simple answer. Uh, each of us would say, yes, we want justice. Uh, we can arrive at such an answer when we consider how we want every bad guy caught in the movies that we watch. Uh, who has watched the Christmas story every year and is just a little bit glad when Ralphie gets retaliation on Scott Farkas for all his bullying. Right, uh, we, we watch different things like Cinderella. Aren't you glad that Cinderella is ultimately invited uh, to the ball rather than the two stepsisters? Real life situations like when criminals who are caught and justice is brought uh, to them. Uh, we see justice even in our children. If you're a parent or if you were ever a child, which is everyone in the room, uh, a child comes to the parent, brother did this or sister lied. We all want justice, especially uh, if you're a firstborn. It's sort of uh, ingrained into you, and I, I get that. I'm a firstborn, so I understand it. But the bottom line is this. Justice really is ingrained into us, and we want to see things made right. We will consider a hard topic today from, from the text of Scripture as the preacher discusses with us the topic of injustice. Injustice occurs rampantly, under the sun. And we have all in this room experienced the effects of injustice and have had to deal with the unfairness of life that has been dealt to us firsthand. And the preacher points this out today in our text. He exposes injustice for what it is and how it works in this world. So when we see it, we know, we know what injustice is. Uh, it's going to be impossible to cover all forms of injustice today in this sermon, and so we're not gonna be able to do that. Uh, we're not gonna be able to cover the need for objectivity to determine where injustice has occurred in certain situations, though we need objectivity to determine that. But our responsibility today is to recognize what the preacher recognizes, what Solomon recognizes, and that is injustice occurs under the sun. And that term, under the sun, again, reminds us of what life is apart from God. So when those who live a life apart from God are doing just that, injustice occurs. Main point of the passage for us today is simply this. Injustice occurs in many places under the sun, but God has established a time when he will bring forth his justice. Say that again, injustice occurs in many places under the sun, but God has established a time when he will bring forth his justice. Last week we saw that God is over time and all that happens within time. And his actions lead to permanence and effectiveness, which means nothing can be added or changed to God's actions or God's will. We spoke of the, the complete fullness of God and his godness, his otherness, and that ultimately leads us to a place of fear of who he is, reverence, and it, and it leads us to a place of trust and, and worship. Uh, 
God is over all things inside of time. Uh, For us, we understand time as fleeting and and impossible to grasp. And the book of Ecclesiastes has been quite helpful in reminding this uh, to us each and every single week. It's like water from a faucet. It's, It's helpful for a moment, but then it disappears into the drain. But God views time very differently. For for God, time is not fleeting. But rather, all of time is ultimately laid bare before God. And we need to remember this before we get into the topic of injustice today. Because he is over time and he is sovereign over time, that means he is quite aware of everything that happens to us in this life and there is a responsibility that we have in this room as a church to submit to the reality that everything that happens to us in this life God is over God is over and to tie last week's passage with this week's passage I want us to look down real quickly in verse 16 that little word moreover the preacher is pointing to something that has just been said there in verse 15 The preacher says that God seeks what has been driven away. It essentially means this, that everything that has been done in time, everything that is past, present, and future, God will one day find. He will search for it and he will find it. And one day, everything that has been done under the sun will lay bare before God and it will be exposed for what it is. The book of Hebrews writes, the writer in Hebrews says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So we're gonna look at kind of two things from our main point today, from our passage, and and it's simply this. We, We need to acknowledge that injustice happens in this world and where it can be found, and and the preacher tells us that. And then the the passage kind of points us or pushes us to God's response to injustice. And this is to provide each and every single one of us hope as we trickle into such a relevant topic in our culture today. So the first point uh, is, is simply this. Acknowledge the injustice that's in the world. And to do that, we're gonna look at verse 16 of chapter three and then verses one through three of chapter four. Verse 16, moreover, Solomon writes, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. This is the preacher acknowledging what he sees in his own life. Have you ever thought that he was over all things? He was the sovereign over the kingdom of Israel, yet he is noticing that injustice takes place. He can't even control it himself because man is at the very heart of it. Where is injustice found? Well, the preacher tells us there's two places that injustice is found, and these are places you don't think you would find injustice. Look with me in verse 16. First he says, it's in the place of justice. There is wickedness. The place of justice is our court system, a civil government where the people should be full of justice, often under the sun, apart from God, there is injustice. This is why we see politicians who are deceivers or judges who receive brides, police who abuse their power. 
Guilty people who are acquitted because they can afford better attorneys and the innocent who are convicted. I read recently that exonerations have been in major increase of late because of DNA testing. In fact, four to six percent of people who have been convicted of crimes are actually innocent in our systems or in our, in our current justice system here in the United States. Uh, this is not a new thing. Israel had to deal with the very same thing. In fact, Isaiah writes in chapter five that the guilty are acquitted with bribes. So, so guilt and innocence mean nothing in Israel, but rather what you're willing to pay determined your fate back then. Right here in the state of Texas, just a few years ago, a judge was sentenced to federal pr prison because of six counts of bribery, one count, a count of obstruction of justice over eight years. One of the United States attorneys who was involved in the case said this, this, this judge that we're referring to used his position to enrich himself. He didn't just tip the scales of justice, he knocked it over with a wad of cash and he didn't look back. Injustice under the sun is prevalent even in the court systems. Now this isn't saying that every single politician or every single judge or every single police officer is guilty of this, of course not. We see good as well, but this is what Solomon is identifying in this text. Uh, Washington Post recently uh, unleashed some research into the psychology of courtroom decisions and, and, and showed how personal backgrounds, unconscious biases, about race, gender, appearance, even the time of day played more into the outcome of conviction over the law itself. A professor at Drexel University wrote a book called Unfair, The New Science of Criminal Injustice. And this book uses psychology and neuroscience to examine and expose the illogical and unfair ways that judges, jurors, attorneys, and other legal systems make decisions and how they send people to prison and who walks free. Beloved, this is the description of life under the sun for those who walk apart from God. But check out what Solomon says next. Then the preacher said that in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. He's referring to the temple in his context and the church in our context, now the church is supposed to be the leader in the fight for justice and truth. Yet unfortunately, the church has also been a contributor to injustice, injustice and some of us have experienced such things. The Catholic Church in the United States alone had over 4,000 priests accused of sexual abuse over 50 years. But, but as Baptists, we don't want to point to the Catholics too quickly for we have had our own mishandlings of sexual abuse cases within the Southern Baptist Convention. We're dealing with this right now and we're trying to bring justice to it. But the reality is injustice has been exposed in the places of the righteous, the church. And just as it was happening in the preacher's time, it's happening in our time as well. Beloved, we see injustice and unrighteousness in all sorts of places where righteousness should be. And you know what I'm talking about. Every day it seems like teachers are mishandling the students that they have. Coaches are abusing players. Parents are neglecting 
and using their children. Peers are bullying their peers. What ought to be is often not. And we need to let the weight of that kind of hit us. We need to, we need to admit to it and we need to see it for what, for what it is. And there is a deeper kind of pain that occurs to us when wickedness happens in places of justice and of righteousness. In the courts and the church, we try to make, we try to wrap our minds around it and, and oftentimes we're left wanting. Injustice exposes the unfairness of this world. And oppression is in the same family as injustice. Look with me in verse one of chapter four. Again, I saw all the oppression that is under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. The preacher is describing the exploitation of the weak at the hands of the powerful. And the preacher is familiar with all of it. What's happening in his world is nothing new in our own world. In verse one, we see that the oppressed have tears and the oppressors have power. Uh, One commentator suggests that the preacher is saying that it's power that corrupts. So even when there's an altruistic motive to go and to serve and to make something right uh, or to lead reform, often it leads to tyranny. This is who man is under the sun. And this is the danger of power and unfortunately humanity has become drunk with it. And we see this in different places. Exploitation of the weak is in so many different forms today. It's almost overwhelming to talk about in public before you. We see sexual abuse, human trafficking. We see abortion that has occurred in the past decades in the country. 70 million babies have been aborted. A a child has never been able to speak against their own death. Uh, We see greed and racism and all different types of social prejudices all over the place. We're common with things in history like the Holocaust where six million Jews lost their lives. Remember the first time I ever heard the testimony of people who had been hammered with such horror when I was in Uganda for the very first time. Three decades later, they were still feeling the effects of Idi Amin and his his reign, his unrighteous reign in Uganda in the 70s. Y'all, this is sin. It is sin to see the unrighteousness, the injustice that happens in this world. And this injustice sobers us to the realities of sin and also the effects or the ramifications of that sin. The intended places of refuge like the courts and and the church and, and families have not been safe for many people. You have to recognize that. And beloved, the church is supposed to be safe. First uh, Timothy 3.15, we ought to know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the true, uh, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. The church ought to lead the way in what is righteous and what is good. 
He continues in verses two and three. And I thought the dead who had already been dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been born and has not yet seen evil deeds that have happened and have been done under the sun. Solomon says that, it is, that this unrighteousness, this injustice, leads people to say that they wish they hadn't even been born. The type of injustice that happens in this world. All this injustice, all this oppression, uh, presents what is a common objection for many to God's sovereignty and his goodness. Well, this is why I don't believe in God, some of you might say. How could a loving God allow these things to happen? If he is over all things, why isn't he controlling what is happening to me and in this world? Have you said some of those things in your own heart? Let me first say that it is good that you want justice. You have been made in the image of God. As we learned last week, God, it is God who has placed eternity in your heart. And God himself is completely righteous and morally perfect. Psalm 18.30. He always does what is right. And in God, there is no darkness at all. That means there is not a speck, a hint of darkness or wickedness inside of our God. And so the fact that you want things to be made right reflects the fact that eternity has been placed in your heart. And we want God to bring recompense. You see this in you welling up. This injustice, this unrighteousness, this oppression actually argues for the existence of God and the desire that you want to see things made right. Something shouts out in us, Lord Jesus, come back and make things right. So this injustice, this oppression really does turn us to God and our need for God. And that's our second point, to trust in the word and the work of God. Verse 17 the preacher says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I want us to observe two things here about God. And I want us to find and renew our hope in what God is going to do because of, God, of who God is. And the first one is this. God will judge at the appointed time at the appointed time. After raising the objection of injustice, the preacher then provides an immediate answer there in verse 17, that God has not forgotten a single thing that has been done under the sun. God sees all things and thus all things matter. There is a time set aside when God will bring complete and utter justice from shore to shore, from border to border. Payment to be rendered to every matter and every work. However extreme the injustice is now, God will enact a permanent justice. And we need to hold to this. And, we, and we've seen glimpses of it in the scriptures. We've seen shadows of it poured out for us. Even the fact that God banished us from the garden is the fact that he's going to bring justice. 
The fact that he destroyed men in their debauchery in the flood shows us that he's going to bring justice. He burnt Solomon Gomorrah to the ground because of the justice that he brings, the judgment that he brings. He turns Lot's wife into salt because she longed for injustice, unjust, unjust things. Egypt's oppression over Israel, God destroys Egypt. Israel's exile for its leaders oppressing the people, not, not worshiping God. He sent them into exile. Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the apostles, fell over dead. These are just glimpses of the justice that God does bring and will one day fully bring for everything that happens under the sun. If there is no judgment, then what does really anything matter? But the fact that there is judgment makes everything under the sun matter. What if there is a judgment? Have you ever thought about that? A final judgment where everything that is ever done in secret or in the dark or any sin that has been done against you or that you have done is exposed before the living God. And this is forthcoming. He will judge all the injustice in the world. And just because you haven't seen it yet does not mean that it's not going to happen because it will. But where was God's judgment most displayed? That's an important question. At the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, everyone's sin, everyone's injustices must have a penalty paid against them. And this is what the preacher is saying. But for the one who has faith in Jesus Christ, as Paul writes in Romans 3, he will escape the judgment. Listen to this, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone is unrighteous. But those who have placed their faith in Jesus are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It is to show his righteousness in the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Let me break that down very simply. Everyone has sinned and no one is glorious. But we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Putting our faith in all that Jesus did, all of his work in his death and in his resurrection, then he is what's called our propitiation. And that word is actually really important. It's just, it's a big word, but the meaning of it is really, really important. It means he absorbs the wrath that we deserve based on our injustices against him. He, He takes it. He's the object which our sin is placed and righteousness is dealt It's incredible. And that big idea of propitiation carries two big elements that I want us to consider today. The first is this, that God's righteous judgment against sin would be appeased. 
everything that you've ever done, for those who have put their faith in Christ, everything that you have ever done has been satisfied in God's wrath in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When he yelled out to Telestai, he said, the work is finished. I have absorbed the wrath for my people. God is totally content by the justice given toward your sin through Jesus' death. He is content. He's not looking to deal with it any longer. And through this, we who are unjust and unrighteous are now justified, made righteous in Christ before God. And secondly, through propitiation, we are now reconciled to God. That means brought back into fellowship with him. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And don't miss this. All this work really has nothing to do with you. All this work, this propitiation, this appeasement, this reconciliation, the work of Jesus himself is all by the hand of God as mercy. Given to us as mercy. There is no gift No work, no sacrifice that you can bring before a holy God to appease your injustice before him. Nothing. So Jesus did the work for us. We are totally incapable of such duty. So we read in Hebrews 2, 17, for this reason, God the Son, Jesus Christ, came into the world in human flesh to be the perfect sacrifice for sin and make atonement for the propitiation of the sins of his people. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Beloved, if you believe in Christ Jesus, if you believe in this, this is what Jesus said with his own lips in John chapter five. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent him has eternal life. That means this. This is what he says. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Those who believe do not come into judgment. Jesus has taken your justice upon himself, the just for the unjust. No wonder this is called the gospel, the good news. Uh, No wonder it's the message that Christ wanted his disciples to spread all over the world. No wonder, that's why Paul said, all I preach is Christ and him crucified. This is the good news right here. Uh, For those of you in this room who do not know Christ, who have not placed your faith in Christ. I must tell you that judgment is coming. Everything that has ever been done, if it's not put on Christ, then you're gonna have to stand before the judgment of God for all the injustices that you are guilty of. I would encourage you to to consider this. Uh, Some of us are simply just don't believe in God. And I'm supposed to warn you that this is forthcoming. Some of us are relying upon our own works, our own righteousness. And I'm here to warn you that there's a judgment that's coming. I want to encourage you to trust in the work of Jesus today. Turn to him by faith. There is another work of God that he displays in this passage. And look with me in verse 18. It's this. God delays judgment to teach us. God delays judgment to teach us. Verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. 
So, so God delays judgment against unjust actions to teach us that we are beasts. That's a splash of cold water in your face, right? That's touching the stove, not realizing that it's hotter than you thought. Why delay the judgment? To show us who we really are. That word test there means to expose, expose them for them. Expose man for, for being under the sun, for show him who he really is. God uses the cruelty of man against man to show us who we really are. We can identify with the psalmist in 73, Psalm 73, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. We are no different than beasts. Beasts are greedy and cunning and selfish. Perhaps most of you know Rudyard Kipling's book, uh, The Jungle Book. Sometimes we think of beasts being like Baloo, this kind, gentle bear, but the beast is Shere Khan, who steals, he's a, he's a savage. That's what he's saying here. What a man thinks he is better than another man and more powerful, he's guilty of injustice. God is showing us this, who, who man really is. Uh, when we don't love and we consider ourselves kind of all guilty of this work, and the preacher humbles the man who thinks he's powerful by saying, you're actually no different than the beast of the field. And animals don't have a sense of justice. Uh, they don't have any understanding of right and wrong. They're just animals trying to survive. Now, theologically, is man different than beasts? Yes, we are different than beasts. We're made in the image of God. God breathed life into our nostrils. But Solomon is simply just making a point here that man who walks in injustice apart from God is really heading to the same destination. Look with me in 19. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies another. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. Verse 20, all go to one place. All are from the dust and to the dust all return. So no one will last. Man dies, just like the smush squirrel that was out here for two weeks. I know you saw him. <laughs> I kept walking by him like, where man heads. He's not there today. I don't know what happened to him, but this is the reality. From the dust we came and to the dust we shall return. This is echoes of Genesis 3. This is what happens to man. It's because we fancied ourselves as great. We were supposed to rule the beast, but the beast ruled us. And that is the reality. And you know that we're all returning to dust. We see fragments of this. Have you ever dusted your house? If you're like a college boy, you're like, I haven't. But I, I, I encourage you, you should. You should dust for health reasons. But go just run your finger at the base of the window seal and realize that that's you. That's your skin cells. This is where you're heading. I'm not even trying to be funny. It's just that's the, that's the vanity of life. You're leaving parts of yourself all over Irving and Dallas. This is what he's saying as well. 
It's just a glimpse of what will happen to anyone who does not know God. Look in verse 21. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than the man, that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Bottom line is this, man dies as the beast and he doesn't even know what occurs after life if he doesn't know God. And this drives uh, those who do know God to enjoy everything in this life, as it says there in verse 22, to be faithful with it. We've talked about this in the book of Ecclesiastes because eternity has been put into our hearts. Now, here are some takeaways that I want to end with today, some practical things, because, guys, I recognize the heaviness of a topic like injustice, but I want us to make sure that we land in a place that ministers to our hearts as we've kind of felt the weight of it, I'm sure, just a little bit. I have four quick takeaways for us. The first one is this. Confess first. This is the first thing. We're gonna work through four things. So the first thing is this. Confess that you are guilty and capable of injustice yourself and turn to the Lord. And this, remember, this is why God delays his judgment to show us that we're beasts. Remember what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous who is Christ, for the unrighteous who is everyone who's ever been born under the sun, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Beloved, God is righteous. Man is unrighteous. We are tempted to think that we are good. We are tempted to think that we are good, but Jesus teaches us in Mark chapter 10, only God is good. No one is good but God. Even the rich young ruler with all of his deeds and all of his successes walked away sad because he learned that only God is good and that he was not good. Matthew 15 says, not what goes into a person that defiles a person, but what comes out of them. Things like evil thoughts and murder and adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. All of us are guilty of these things of these injustices. You remember what it says in Matthew chapter 22, that to fulfill the law, you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And no one can fulfill the law. No one has loved their neighbor perfectly. Anytime we consider ourselves more than we consider one of our brothers or sisters, we are guilty of injustice. We are guilty of sin. So we have to let the, the gospel of Christ deal with our own sin first. All the times we fail to love, all the times we fail to consider. You might be saying, what does my sin have to do with me being guilty of injustice? Well, I, everything. We have to confess and admit this is, this is who we are. And that might sound offensive to some of you. How, how dare you, Pastor Blair, tell me that I am not good? How dare you say that I am not good? You might be thinking that in your heart right now. Well, the gospel offends before it saves. The gospel makes us understand what we really are before a holy God. And it leads us to Christ. It, it leads us to the gospel. Uh, number two, 
Hold fast to the Lord as you endure injustice under the sun and trust him. I really was, you know, we were thinking this week in our pastor's kind of sermon prep, just of all the injustices that have occurred in this body. I can't imagine. I can imagine what each of you have walked through or gone through. I just know the injustices in my own family and it overwhelms me. You might be asking, how do I wait for God to make things right while injustice has occurred to me? I think that's a good question. I want you to remember that, that God is going to make all these things right. He is going to be just towards all the actions that have been done under the sun. It's to help us that while we live under the sun, we can manage a little bit of our expectation that injustices will simply just occur. And it's not okay that they occur, by the way, and we're gonna get to that. But just to help us remember that this under the sun, this is what happens. And if injustice has happened to you, please come and talk to a pastor. Maybe you've never shared it with anybody. We want to talk to you. Things that you've never spoken to anybody, we wanna deal with those things with you. But all your injustices will be made right. So my encouragement is to be patient. Ask God for help to endure under the sun before he makes all things right. Uh, patience is a fruit of the spirit. Um, be patient in knowing that God is with you. He will sustain you and he will help you when you ask. Number three, consider that your Lord knows more about injustice than you do and be grateful for it. What do you mean? Do you remember my first question of the sermon? Do you want justice? Do you want justice? We determine pretty quickly that we all actually do want justice. Oftentimes when it's for the other person, but not ourselves, right? But do you really want what you deserve? Do you actually want what you deserve? Because the wages of sin is death. What we all deserve because of sin is eternal separation from the living God. That's what's fair. That's what's just. But God has made a way where there seems to be no way. He has created a way for us to have mercy. And his name is Jesus. Yes, Jesus knows all about injustice. He knows all about injustice. He was holy and blameless. This is who God is. And all of our sins, all of our crimes, everything is placed on him. He knows what injustice is. He can identify you as a faithful, he can identify with you as a faithful high priest. He knows what it's like to be wronged by political authorities like Rome. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by religious leaders like the Pharisees. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by his own countrymen, his own 
disciples, betrayed by one. He knows what injustice is all about in ways that you and I cannot possibly fathom. But in that moment where the just one died for the unjust, in that moment, he took on our injustice, our sin, and he made us righteous and just. Man, praise God. When we realize that God didn't just send us to where we actually deserve, then we begin to understand the levels of mercy that have been given to us in Jesus. And when we recognize the levels of mercy that have been given to us in Jesus, then any injustice that has ever been done to you can begin, can begin to be thought through. And, and, and we who have been sinned against can begin to forgive. We who have had sin done to us we can begin to love those who hate us. If we actually recognize the sin that has occurred against a holy God, and we recognize that it's mercy, then God has provided for us an opportunity in our own hearts to begin to think about forgiveness in this life. It doesn't mean that justice isn't coming for the sin but it means that justice has been proven in your own heart as you believe on the cross. And hold these things tightly to you so bitterness doesn't seize you. And fourth and finally, eagerly spread mercy and justice through the gospel as you have received justice and mercy in Christ. Eagerly spread mercy and justice through the gospel as you have received justice and mercy in Christ. In no way should we be discouraged to work towards justice in this world. We should, we should be unleashed to do it. To go and to help feed the poor and to care for the abused. Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5 God is glorified on this earth when his people display his character to the hurting. We should never go and serve outside of the name of Christ, but always in the name of Christ. We serve cups of cold water in Jesus' name. We care for the abused, empathizing with this just as the high priest of heaven has. This is what Jesus introduces himself as in Luke chapter four. He's like, I have come to give good news to the poor, freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind and release to the prisoners. This is, this is what Jesus came to do and this is what he sends us into the world to do. And we do so as we bear his name and we point people to the gospel of Christ that can deliver them from the captivity that is in their life and the hope and bring them to the hope that's found only in Jesus. And so we go and we hang out with the sinners and the sick and the lawbreakers and those who have sinned against us. And we do this in Christ's name. We mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. We provide justice in the name of Jesus. And we recognize that we're not gonna be able to fulfill all of it in this life. Only Jesus will.
when he comes back. But we don't just sit. We're called to be faithful in it. So go and in comfort. Go and comfort the, the oppressed. Start in your family. Start with your spouse. Start with your coworkers. Bring them the sweet message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go and serve against sex trafficking and abortion and all of this. God, have mercy on this world. Go and do it and do it in the name of Christ because everything we do ultimately matters. We do see in this passage that even the righteous are judged. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5. It's not a judgment that has anything to do with salvation or justification that has been done at the cross. But everything we do, the stewardship of the gospel, it matters. How we display the mercy of Christ glorifies our good God and King. And this is our responsibility today, church. Hold tightly to the cross of Christ, especially as we prepare our hearts to take the supper. His body and his blood was broken and spilled for you. He endured everything that you and I were supposed to endure. He did it for us. Thank you, Jesus.